0: Have felt the liberating, redeeming power of this book of books, and their changed lives have changed the world and the course of history. The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar is your opportunity to hear this unique book, the entire Bible, every year. Now, here's the host of The Bible Live, Soapy Dollar. We are here thanking you, as always, for being a part of the program. You will not regret staying with us through this hour because you're going to get a chance to do something that, in all probability, you haven't done in a long, long time, and that is a chance to hear the Bible itself. Ten (laughs) minutes. Just ten minutes. It's not a long reading this evening. In fact, tonight marks the shortest reading in our Bible Live program. We're going to finish up the reading of the Gospel of Mark, chapters 15 and 16, the final two chapters. Mark has two different endings that have come down to us over the centuries. So we're going to read both of those and talk a little bit about why there would be two endings. Now, it is a very dramatic reading from the Gospel of Mark. We come to the climactic end of the life and the ministry of Jesus, the Messiah. We have followed now from the beginning, as John Mark has shared with us a perspective, the impressions of probably the Apostle Peter. We have followed this fast-paced presentation, following the experiences of Jesus from person to person, from event to event, emphasizing the servant nature of the Messiah. Although he was the Son of God himself, with all authority and all power and capability, he came not to serve himself, but to be a servant to all humanity and to be a servant in his lifestyle, not only in his death, saving the world, but meeting people one by one and giving himself away on behalf of his father. Right now, though, let's go finish the second chapter of the book of Proverbs, the theme of our wisdom and worship segment tonight on The Bible Life. Proverbs 2, verses 11 through 22. Wise planning will watch over you. Understanding will keep you safe. Wisdom will save you from evil people, from those whose speech is corrupt. These people turn from right ways to walk down dark and evil paths. They rejoice in doing wrong, and they enjoy evil as it turns things upside down. What they do is crooked, and their ways are wrong. Wisdom will save you from the immoral woman, from the flattery of the adulterous woman. She has abandoned her husband and ignores the covenant she made before God. Entering her house leads to death. It is the road to hell the man who visits her is doomed he will never reach the paths of life follow the steps of good men instead and stay on the paths of the righteous for only the upright will live in the land and those who have integrity will remain in it but the wicked will be removed from the land and the treacherous will be destroyed end of reading proverbs 2 verses 11 through 22 you are awesome. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. You are in this place, Mighty God. Alright, we are back. We're gonna move from our wisdom and worship segment. We read through the Psalms and the Proverbs each year to our narrative reading. It's usually just a little bit longer coming from one of the other books of the Bible. We're just finishing up the Gospel of Mark, and on our next program we'll be going back to the Old Testament, to the Hebrew Scriptures, picking up where we left the people of Israel, camped on the east side of the Jordan River, after the death of Moses, their leader, for 40 years, waiting to follow the leadership of Joshua now into the promised land, into the land of Canaan. We will pick up there in the books of Joshua, Judges, and Ruth, and then we'll come back again to the New Testament picking up at the Gospel of Luke. So that's how we do it. We just move through the Scriptures, alternating between the Old and the New Testaments. I just want to make a quick remark about the Proverbs. There are only relatively few people that the Bible calls wise. Wisdom is a very interesting concept. It's not the same as knowledge. As Winston Churchill said, knowledge will tell you that tomato is a fruit, but it's wisdom that teaches you not to put tomato in your cereal. It's the right application of knowledge. The Bible speaks of Joseph, Moses, Bezalel, interestingly enough, one of those who designed and supervised the construction of the tabernacle, Joshua, David, Abigail, David's first wife, Solomon, Daniel, those astrologers who came to find Jesus there in Bethlehem, Stephen, the first Christian martyr, Paul, and Jesus himself. Interesting list of people that the Bible describes as wise. We're going to pick up now in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, where Jesus, he's been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, and now he's going to be put on trial and then crucified for his claim to be God. Mark 15:1 through 16:20. Mark 15. Very early in the morning, the leading priests, other leaders and teachers of religious law, the entire high council, met to discuss their next step they bound Jesus and took him to Pilate the Roman governor Pilate asked Jesus are you the king of the Jews Jesus replied yes it is as you say then the leading priest accused him of many crimes and Pilate asked him aren't you going to say something what about all these charges against you but Jesus said nothing much to Pilate's surprise now it was the governor's custom to release one prisoner each year at Passover time Anyone the people requested. One of the prisoners at that time was Barabbas, convicted along with others for murder during an insurrection. The mob began to crowd in toward Pilate, asking him to release a prisoner as usual. Should I give you the king of the Jews? Pilate asked. For he realized by now that the leading priest had arrested Jesus out of envy. But at this point, the leading priest stirred up the mob to demand the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. But if I release Barabbas, Pilate asked them, what should I do with this man you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, Crucify him! Why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? But the crowd only roared the louder, Crucify him! So Pilate, anxious to please the crowd, released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to crucify him. "'The soldiers took him into their headquarters "'and called out the entire battalion. "'They dressed him in a purple robe "'and made a crown of long, sharp thorns "'and put it on his head. "'Then they saluted, yelling, "'Hail, King of the Jews!' "'And they beat him on the head with a stick, "'spit on him, and dropped to their knees in mock worship. "'When they were finally tired of mocking him, "'they took off the purple robe "'and put his own clothes on him again. "'Then they led him away to be crucified.' A man named Simon, who was from Serene was coming in from the country just then, and they forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Simon is the father of Alexander and Rufus. And they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means Skull Hill. They offered him wine drugged with myrrh, but he refused it. Then they nailed him to the cross. They gambled for his clothes, throwing dice to decide who would get them. It was nine o'clock in the morning when the crucifixion took place. A signboard was fastened to the cross above Jesus' head, announcing the charge against him. It read, The King of the Jews. Two criminals were crucified with him. Their crosses on either side of his. And the people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Ha! Look at you now, they yelled at him. You can destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, can you? Well, then save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests and teachers of religious law also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross so we can see it and believe him. Even the two criminals who were being crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Then at that time, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabaxini, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a stick so he could drink. Leave him alone. Let's see whether Elijah will come and take him down, he said. Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain in the temple was torn in two. From top to bottom, when the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, Truly, this was the Son of God. Some women were there watching from a distance, including Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James the Younger, and of Joseph, and Salome. They had been followers of Jesus and had cared for him while he was in Galilee. Then they and many other women had come with him to Jerusalem. This all happened on Friday, the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath. As evening approached, an honored member of the high council, Joseph from Arimathea, who was waiting for the kingdom of God to come, gathered his courage and went to Pilate to ask for Jesus' body. Pilate couldn't believe that Jesus was already dead, so he called for the Roman military officer in charge and asked him. The officer confirmed the fact, and Pilate told Joseph he could have the body. Joseph bought a long sheet of linen cloth, and taking Jesus' body down from the cross, he wrapped it in the cloth and laid it in a tomb that had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone in front of the entrance. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where Jesus' body was laid. Mark 16. The next evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene and Salome and Mary the mother of James went out and purchased burial spices to put on Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they came to the tomb. On the way, they were discussing who would roll the stone away from the entrance to the tomb. But when they arrived... They looked up and saw that the stone, a very large one, had already been rolled aside. So they entered the tomb, and there on the right sat a young man clothed in a white robe. The women were startled, but the angel said, Do not be so surprised. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He isn't here. He has been raised from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and give this message to his disciples, including Peter, Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, saying nothing to anyone because they were too frightened to talk. This is a shorter ending of the Gospel of Mark. Then they reported all these instructions briefly to Peter and his companions. Afterward, Jesus himself sent them out from east to west with the sacred and unfailing message of salvation that gives eternal life. Amen. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. This is a longer ending of the Gospel of Mark. It was early on Sunday morning when Jesus rose from the dead, and the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene, the woman from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and found the disciples who were grieving and weeping, but when she told them that Jesus was alive and she had seen him, they didn't believe her. Afterward, he appeared to two who were walking from Jerusalem into the country, but they didn't recognize him at first because he had changed his appearance. When they realized who He was, they rushed back to tell the others, but no one believed them. Still later, He appeared to the eleven disciples as they were eating together. He rebuked them for their unbelief, their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen Him after He had risen. And then He told them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone, everywhere. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name, and they will speak new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety, and if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick and heal them. When the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And the disciples went everywhere and preached, and the Lord worked with them. Confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. End of reading. Mark fifteen one through sixteen twenty. Above all kingdoms, above all thrones, above all wonders the world has ever known, above all wealth and treasure. He endured the shame, the pain. He did it all for us. I don't know if you have seen the film, The Passion of the Christ. It is a shame that that movie became so politicized. But in that film, we come face to face with the reality of what happened to Messiah. This was brutal punishment for blasphemy, claiming to be equal with God himself, claiming to be the Son of God, the King of Israel, the Messiah. I remember sitting in the studio as I watched The Passion of the Christ. If you have not seen it, I would encourage you to rent the movie, get it from the library. Death by crucifixion was not kind. It was not gentle. It was a very cruel and real punishment that the Messiah endured on our behalf. The thought that came to me as I wept, as I watched the film the first time, was that he did that for me. It was not the Jewish leaders, it was not the Roman soldiers, necessarily, that were the primary instruments of the death of Messiah. It was my sin that put him on that cross. So I would encourage you to see that film as a way of seeing what is written for us here in the Gospel of Mark, the beatings and the mockings and what happened with the soldiers in the Old Testament. 700 years before Jesus was even born, the prophet Isaiah talked about the suffering servant, the Messiah who would come, expecting someone to be a deliverer and a powerful political figure. The leaders of that era missed the Messiah. Many did not. It was not universal. But those who missed, they were expecting so much a conquering king that they missed the suffering servant. They did not understand that Messiah would come twice, once to purchase our redemption as a suffering servant and again as conquering king. Isaiah wrote, "'Who has believed our message? "'To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? "'My servant,' speaking of the Messiah, "'my servant grew up in the Lord's presence "'like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. "'There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, "'nothing to attract us to him.' He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him, and he looked the other way. He was despised, and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. I could substitute the words my sins in there. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have left God's path to follow our own path. Yet the Lord laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. Very powerful passage. And of course, this was part of the presentation of Mark. What an astounding ending to the life of the Son of God. There was this idea that the Son of God would come and he would be glorious and deliver them from their political oppression. And yet he came humble and broken as a servant I guess that would take all of us by surprise. This was a big deal in Jerusalem. This was a big event, a very public event. Thousands witnessed his being paraded through the streets. This made the evening news without a doubt. Jesus, this one that many had thought was the Messiah, was led away to be crucified, to be executed by the Roman authorities with the support and encouragement of the Jewish leadership. Politically, Jesus was a liability. He was a threat to their political stability and power, and they had decided early that they had to do away with him. In the Gospel of Mark here, it only mentions very quickly two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And then it just mentions a few verses later, uh, even the men who were crucified with Jesus ridiculing him. Mark doesn't go into detail, and I think that's something that bears mentioning and talking about a bit in the four different records that we have of the life of Jesus. None of these are intended to be complete biographies, chronological biographies of the life and ministry of Jesus. These are more like paintings, portraits, their particular perspective and memories and observances about the experiences they witnessed in the life of Jesus. And just like even today, as you look over a different event, if you have different witnesses to, let's say, a crime or a car accident or almost anything else, there would be different perspectives. Different people will notice different things about that experience where one might talk about two angels that came to the tomb of Jesus for his resurrection. The other might talk about one, whereas one might be describing the whole situation. The other may be talking about and emphasizing this angel that spoke and said this and such. And so it's natural that there would be different emphasis in the way that people described a given event or a given situation or a given conversation. So we shouldn't be too surprised by that and definitely not disturbed in any sense by it. It's a very natural thing that happened. And frankly, that difference, that independence of the different writers and authors is a good thing for us. Kind of lends more confidence in the veracity of each of their presentations. The fact that they don't necessarily trail one another and actually paint and describe everything in the exact same words and terms. What we have here is the memories and the observations of a given individual and it's natural that there would be some differences in the way they see different events. Now, these particular endings, they come to us from earlier manuscripts. The most reliable early manuscripts of the Gospel of Mark end at verse 8. Other manuscripts include various endings to this particular Gospel. A few include both the shorter ending and the longer ending. The majority of manuscripts today include the longer ending immediately after verse 8. There. Neither one would make a difference in terms of the central message of the gospel or the veracity or the reliability of them. They are just what came down to us. And so having both of them, there is some regard for both of them. Then they are both printed and we can see them, hear them both and make up our own minds in terms of what we think of them, but they don't make a difference in terms of the truth basis of the scriptures or of the gospel message. I want to point out a little detail that we don't notice. This is mentioned in one of the other gospels as well, that Jesus was already dead. He died more quickly than they expected in preparation for the Sabbath. They were all worried about him not dying in time for them to make preparations for the Sabbath. And so they sent people to break the legs of the victims here to hasten their death because death on the cross was a death of suffocation. Slowly, they just could not support their bodies, and particularly when they broke their legs, they weren't able to support themselves, and they would fall, putting great pressure on their lungs and their internal organs. And so it's reported that Jesus was already dead. Pilate is surprised by that, so he called a second Roman officer to confirm So Jesus died on the cross, but he was confirmed dead twice by professional executioners. This is important because we're talking about the resurrection now. There are some theories that say, well, Jesus never really died on the cross. He swooned. He went unconscious, and they thought he was dead, and then they took him down, wrapped him, and buried him, and put a uh, two-ton stone over the doorway and in the coolness of the tomb, he resuscitated, he revived, jumped up, hopped over and got the bindings off of himself, pushed the two-ton stone away from the door, conquered the Roman guard that had been placed over the tomb, and then presented himself as the conquering risen Savior to his disciples. It, <laughs> I am sorry, but it is, it is simply not credible. It's not understandable that that would be an explanation for the death of Jesus, the Messiah, and what happened to the body. Now, the, the intent is good in that, in the sense that this is an actual event now. This is not some religious sort of an idea uh, or Jesus just raised, came from the dead spiritually. Uh, this was a bodily, physical resurrection of the body. Now, this may be one reason why his disciples, when Jesus told them about this and predicted to them that he was going to be killed, that he was going to be uh, Tortured and and crucified and, and and executed there in Jerusalem, and then rise from the dead. This may be one reason that they didn't understand him. Remember, we talked about that when we read just the other day. Uh, what what part of I will in three days I will rise again? What part of that did they not understand? And I I was being a little bit facetious, maybe a little sarcastic with them. But uh, one of our another listener, I was talking to the, the even the next day, we were talking about that, and he said, you know. You got to cut them a little slack because um, we, in our era, in our time, we talk about Jesus rising from the dead, and we we understand it because we're behind the event. We've heard about it, we know about it, and we understand the concept. This was an incredibly powerful concept to them to say that, and and they did not theologically understand. Uh, well, did, did that was one of the big theological controversies of their time: the difference between. Uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, in some ways, is that the, the the they did not know about this. This, in what sense do men live after death? Is it just spiritual death, uh, a spiritual life that we have that we, that we continue on after death? Um, some did not even believe in life after death at all, much less you know resurrection uh, and coming back. So this was. Uh, I could see how the the disciples might be slightly mistaken but they uh it might be confused by this idea of what what did Jesus mean when he's talked about rising from the dead maybe it wasn't they were doubting that he was going to rise but they meant what form would this take what will he bodily rise well now of course they they know and they see that he intended to come back and of course i think the the raising of lazarus probably helped them a great deal as well, well, we're going to back and reread this passage to t- tonight. But there is great evidence that the the gospel itself rests on this event uh, that Jesus of Nazareth, the prophecies fulfilled in his life, the nature of his very life and ministry, and then this event—he rose from the dead. What happened to the body of this man, Jesus, in the first century? And then, of course, there are the transformed lives of his followers—the fourth leg to the chair uh, and the the evidences for the Christian faith. What do you think happened to the body of Jesus of Nazareth? Many have tried over the years to disprove the resurrection. Several very famously had great conversions and became followers of Jesus the Messiah. So I always encourage folk, take it seriously, go in there, see if you can disprove it, see if you can come up with the evidence that would disprove this central event to his life and ministry. I could only do good. For you to examine it now, there are some other explanations for the empty tomb. Jesus was only unconscious; he swooned, later revived in the tomb. The women made a mistake and went to the wrong tomb when they went to uh, embalm his body. Unknown thieves stole the body of Jesus, or his own disciples stole the body, or the religious leaders stole the body. You've got to follow each of these theories out and see that only one meets all the requirements and satisfies all the facts, and that is Jesus is alive. He is alive. The Bible is. alive with Soapy Dollar. Sophie reads from the New Living Translation by Tyndall House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your prayers and financial support are needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, biblelive.com. Now don't forget, join us each weekday for The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Start today and in one year's time we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's Word.